welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. Jesus came to Israel and they missed their opportunity because they didn't recognise the day of the visitation. And I feel like sometimes, and obviously not in this church, but sometimes people can come to church looking for answers and miss what God is saying because they zone out, they're not attentive, their hearts are not expectant. So engage what God's doing today. Amen? Last week we spoke about hope and faith. We didn't get to the faith part, but we got to the hope part. And Genesis 15 verse 2, sorry, Abram said to God, What will you give me? So God had promised Abraham that he would bless him. And Abram said to God, look, what would you give me seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And I shared last week that Abram had a perspective problem. That when he looked at his world, the way he saw his world was filled with hopelessness. And one of the chief things that the devil is doing today is attacking our hope, our hope in God for for our future, for for, for our families, for our breakthrough. He's constantly assaulting day after day. Some of you feel like you're punch drunk. That you, you get you step up and you begin to believe and you get assaulted again and again. And so he was trapped in this tent of hopelessness. And so when God came with the answer to his problem, he's saying to God, Look, God, this is what I'm seeing about my life. And the Lord said to him, Abram, it's time to get out of the tent and begin to see how I see. Look up at the heaven, count the stars in the sky. In effect, God was saying to Abram, stop looking at what you don't have and the enormity of the problem that faces you. Some of you have have become so well acquainted with all the problems, all the reasons why you can't be successful, and you constantly look at it and look at it from every angle, and you have this overwhelming perspective of hopelessness about your life and your future. Just be careful where you say amen, because that means let it be according to me, Lord. Let it be. So be it. So just thought I'd just throw that one out. And so God calls Abram out of the tent. It's time to get my perspective on your world. And I said to you last week that hope is a disposition. It's a disposition that we carry that God is good, and I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to cause everything in my life to turn out for good. He's able to take that which was evil and make it good. He can make the enemy, it might come in one way, but he will flee seven. David said, I've been young and I'm now old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants go begging for bread. I don't know how God will do it, but he will make a way where there is no way. And when you have that perspective of life, it's easy for God to speak to you. I said last week that the enemy is, uh, sorry, God is dropping seeds, hope, sorry, faith seeds, seeds of promise, seeds of strategy, seeds of opportunity into our hearts all the time. But Mark 4 says that when the man or the woman whose heart hasn't been tilled 30, 60, 100 fold in hope, 
the enemy comes and steals those seeds. So God says to you, I've got a, I've got a, a possibility for you. I've got a plan. I've got an opportunity. But when your heart is filled with hopelessness, it's easy for the enemy to steal your seed. I venture to say that many times when we're impregnated with hopelessness and God comes, we're not hearing what God is saying. Do you remember months ago I spoke on the two-stick woman that God had commanded Elijah to come and provide for her, but because she was so impregnated with hopelessness, she couldn't hear the command of God. Elijah heard it, but the woman didn't. And many times God is speaking, bringing solutions and ideas, but we're trapped in a lifestyle of hopelessness. And God wants to bring hope to your life. Because when hope comes, peace and joy enter in. And when I'm at peace, I can hear God speak. When I'm filled with joy, I have the ability to sustain the attack of the enemy and be ready for every opportunity that God brings. So God said to Abram, get out of that tent. Stop hanging around with people, with mindsets that bring hopelessness to your life. I want to say to you, you need to turn off the TV when it's hopeless and it's filling the airwaves of your house with despair. You need to get new friends if your friends are bringing hopelessness to your life and elevating all the problems. Get around people. Get out of that tent and get into the house of hope. Amen? Amen? So when you hear hopelessness in your house, rebuke it in Jesus' name. Not in my house. We are the house of hope. And I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's going to make a way. My future is bright. I tell my children, you are going to be successful. You're going to be great. How do I know? I know. Because it's the spirit of hope. Pull them out. We want to get rid of that E-all mentality. I don't want to live under a cloud in my life. I believe that God is good. So that's hope. God works with vision and he works with words. So when he came to Abraham, first thing he had to do was unlock his vision, bring hope to his life, the awareness of the goodness of God. Now I want you to turn over to Genesis 17 verse 1, for that's what we're going to hit today. When Abraham was 99 years old, let me tell you, it's never too late for God to do a miracle in your life. It's never too late for God to outwork his plan. I told God that the best years of my life were in my 30s. And if he was going to do a good work, that was the decade to do it. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am almighty God. Abraham, Abraham turned his hearing aid up. I said, what was that, Lord? Was that you, Sarah? No, God says, up here, Abram. I am almighty God. And he says, I'm going to make my covenant between me and you. And you're going to multiply exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face. <laughs> Grabbed his walking stick and propped himself up. And God talked to him and said, you boy, my covenant's with you. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations. That's staggering. An old crony like that. You're my A plan. You old man. You man with no teeth. Your chest is where your belly is now. I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you so prosperous. They're going to come whole nations out of your loins. 
And no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Gee, it's hard to change your name after you've had one for 99 years. You know what it's like when you've had a passcode or an address or something that's been with you for years and all of a sudden you've got to change. Like for women whose last name was whatever and they've got to go from their maiden name to their married name, if you don't hyphenate it. And he says, no longer will you be Abram, but Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. The young literal translation puts it like this. Listen to this. And thy name is no more called Abraham, but thy name has been Abraham. For father of a multitude of nations have I made you. And I have made you exceedingly fruitful. Did you hear that? Listen to the tense. For thy name is no more Abraham. Abram, sorry. But thy name has been Abraham. I did a little check, and I can't find anywhere that God ever called Abram, Abram. Except for one place. And that's Genesis 15 that we read. And he said to Abram, Abram, do not be afraid, Abram. That's the only time he uses his name in all of the Bible as Abram. So yes, it's... He's, he's referred to as Abram, but God never, ever calls him Abram because he always knew him as Abraham. And the only time he calls him Abram is when he says, don't be afraid, Abram. It's like a label. Don't be the afraid Abram. In fact, even when he calls him that, he's not really calling him Abram. He's saying, don't be the afraid Abram. The only time he calls him Abram is when he's trapped in this mindset of hopelessness. He says, don't be afraid, Abram, for your name will be Abraham. And that, when you read through the scripture, Abram, the name Abram is referenced 50 times in the Old Testament. In fact, in all of scripture. And 50 is the number of Jubilee. And I believe that God was saying, you know what, I'm about to deliver you from an old mindset and bring you into glorious freedom. And God's saying to you today, I'm about to deliver you from an old mindset, from an old identity. I'm about to take that which was uh, destroyed and make it new. I'm about to reveal to you today how I truly see you. In fact, I've never seen you as the way you label yourself. God never called Abram, Abram. He says, I have always called you Abraham. Are you getting this? God never refers to you in your weakness. That's what faith is about. God calls you as he sees you. And just because your father named you Abraham doesn't mean that I named you Abram. Remember when Benjamin was born, his mother called him Benoni, the son of my sorrow, and father said, no way, his name shall be Benjamin. Now this is a thing about faith that I want to expand to you today if you're taking notes. Faith speaks out the revelation of who I truly am and makes a demand on it. So hope is a perspective. Hope is 
And I, I used the phrase last week, hope is a disposition, but faith is a now position. Faith sees who I am and makes a demand on it right now. Romans 5 tells us that the whole Bible essentially is about two people. It's about Adam and it's about Jesus. And it says there's a natural birth that places you in Adam's identity and condition. And there's a spiritual birth that places you in Jesus' identity and position. And faith says, I'm going to have that and I'm going to have it right now. It's me right now. In fact, Romans 5.17 says, If through the transgression of the one, death reign, which is Adam, how much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life as kings through the one Jesus Christ. I want you to know today, because of that scripture, the Bible's teaching us that God's work in Christ far exceeds any damage that the devil did in your life. Did you hear that? He's saying... If death reigned through Adam and you're identified with that, how much more will you reign in life as a king through Jesus Christ? He's saying, you identified with the old nature, Adam, the old man. How much more is God able to reverse that? And he's saying here that the work in Christ in your life will far exceed any damage that's been done to you through Adam. Are you getting that? Any damage that's been done through the old nature, the old mindset, through sin in your life, the moment you get in Christ Jesus, he said, I'll not only deal with that damage, but the work of Christ will far exceed the damage that Satan did in your life. But so many Christians are identifying with their sin and their pain and their past. And I know it's difficult. But we're not called to work in our own strength. We're called to believe in the supernatural work of the Spirit. And the Bible says, if any man or woman be in Christ, they are a new creation. You are to stop identifying with your old self. And faith is now. It says, I will take that promise now and believe it and walk in its reality. Faith is now. Satan wants me focused on who I was, my past. My pain, my sin. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is. It makes a demand on the promises of God. Hope paints a picture of our future. It's a disposition. It's a generalized feeling of the goodness of God where faith says, I've got a problem. I've got a thing that's faced me. Finances, whatever it is, I will take that promise and I will have it now. I will make it a reality right now. I will place a demand on the nature and the promises of God for my life. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Therefore, from now on, from when? From now, from now, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, Though, yes, we know him no longer that way. He goes on to say, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things are passed away and all things have become new. So that means today you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have any unrighteous ways in you. You are clean, pure, righteous, holy, forgiven, blessed, loved, sanctified, 
full of wisdom, full of truth. That is who you are in the spirit right now. And Paul says, from now on, we shall no longer talk, lack, doubt, unbelief, sickness, pain, worry, anxiety, because we are in Christ Jesus. Faith makes a demand and says, we shall have it now. Not in a sweet by and by, but victory is ours today. Ephesians 2.13, because maybe you don't believe it yet, says, But now, but now, in Christ, you who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. You are close to Jesus now. He is in you. Not one day, not when you get your life together, not when you read more of the Bible, not when you overcome these habits, but right now you are in Christ Jesus and you have been brought near and dear to his heart. The enemy keeps saying, you know what? Once you get that right, once you overcome that, but you need to say, but now, it's right now, I have all that I need. Again, Ephesians 5.8 says, you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Do you know whenever you read the word light in the New Testament, it's talking about wisdom. It's talking about ability and revelation. Paul saying, once you're in darkness, you're in confusion. You didn't know what tomorrow held. You didn't know solutions. But God is saying, but now you've been brought into the light of the Lord. You have all the wisdom that you need. Some of you have been saying, if only I was wiser or smarter. If only I knew what to do in the future. My friend, right now, living inside you is the life of Jesus. And the Bible says, in him is life. And that life is the light of man, John 1. For you have the light of God in you right now, and it's time to put a demand on it and say, God, your word declares that in me is life, and that life is the light of man because you are in me. So that means that I have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in me. You're of God, it says, in Christ, but of God you are in Christ, who has made for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That tells me that I'm. In God, and because I'm in God, I have wisdom. All the wisdom I need, it's there right now. You've just got to place a demand on it. You've just got to acknowledge it. We keep putting it off, but my friend, you are a powerhouse of wisdom right inside you. 1 John 3, 2. It's for anyone that wants it today. It says, beloved, now, now, now we are the children of God. 1 Corinthians 2 says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which comes from God. It's right now. The moment you get born again, you have everything you need right inside you. No lack. You have everything that you need. The same Holy Ghost that lives in me lives in you. You have all the power, all the authority. But see, the problem is the enemy wants us to keep putting it off. He doesn't want us to acknowledge every good thing that is within us. And, and what I'm here today to do is to stir that up that says, that says, faith is now. Faith is now. It says, I will have it right now. I will release it right now. I will acknowledge it in me right now. Upon salvation, this is what happened to you. The Bible says that you received eternal life. You don't receive eternal life because you become a Christian. You are a Christian because you received eternal life. 
John 5.26 says that the Father has life in himself. It's perpetual Zoe life. Eternal life doesn't mean just mean that you're going to live forever. Eternal life is the perpetual life. Perpetual life of God flowing through us every day. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they would have it abundantly. Romans 8.11 says, The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and and he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your bodies. That's See, Jesus carried the life in him and the purpose was to get it into you. This life, this eternal, abundant provision of life is in you right now. And it would do us good every day to recognize that life. Thank you, Father, that I carry the life. Think about it. The life of God is inside me. In him was life. I don't know if we're getting this, but in him was life. And that life is the light of man. And when you carry the life of God within you, in that life is wisdom and revelation and insight and discernment. It's all in the life of God. And the very life of God is placed inside you at new birth. We need to get up every day and say, thank you, God, that your divine life. Think about it. That same life that raised Jesus from the dead. This is not just any old life. This is supernatural, powerful, demon-crushing, overcoming life. It's the Zoe life of God himself, and it comes rushing into you at new birth, and it lives within you. And we sometimes walk around feeling like we're we're the, the tail and not the head, insignificant walking around. You carry the life of God in you. Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You have so much within you. Revelation 22.1 says that, that John was shown in Revelation a pure river of water of life that flowed from the throne of God. You need to see that today, that from the very heart of God, the throne of God, which is inside you, there is a river of life that is flowing Psalm chapter uh, is it Psalm one? It says that that when that tree goes down into the waters of life, it will bear fruit. Its leaf will not wither. It will prosper in whatever it does. And when we access that life that is within us, everything begins to grow. We begin to acknowledge the life of God that's within us. So you can have it all there, but the activation of all that's within you is faith. When you acknowledge the good things that are inside you, it activates it in your world. Or actually, it will sit there dormant. It's voice activated. With the heart, one believes, and with the mouth, one confesses. How do I get what is inside me out? Using my mouth. That's why it says life and death are in the power of the tongue. It causes the rivers of water, it acknowledges them, and it causes them to flow through our life. Another thing, we have the life of God, but the Bible also says, I have the fullness of God in me. Think about that. John 1 verse 16 says, And of his fullness, some of us have received. Of his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. 
I have received the fullness of God. You have. Every single person here today that's asked Jesus into their heart to be their Lord and Savior, you have received the fullness of God. And so it's time for you and I to start living up to that measure of the fullness of God in our life. Jesus came to be an example of man. He came to display what it looks like when a man or woman begins to believe that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in them bodily. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 Corinthians 1, 30, I mentioned before, but of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom. Think about that. You're of God because you're in Christ. That's what it's saying. And because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he's placed you into the Holy Trinity. And so you have access to all the wisdom of God, all the righteousness of God, pure, clean, holy. You're as pure and clean as Jesus is. That's amazing. You have sanctification set apart. The enemy can't tempt you. He can't pollute you. There's a holy power in you that says no to sin and yes to righteousness. You have redemption. You've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and transported, translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. You've been redeemed from all the curse of sin and disease. That's who you are because you are in God. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in your puny body. Think about it. Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest anybody cheat you. The devil's trying to cheat you today. He's told you you're not much. There's not much power in you. If only you get your life together, something good would happen. He's trying to deceive you and cheat you. I'm here today to deliver you, to tell you, no, no, no. Don't believe the lies. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit. According to the traditions of man, I don't care what your mum or dad's told you or your pastor 30 years ago. If it doesn't line up with the word that says the fullness of the Godhead dwells in you, then they are wrong. If it elevates the devil and demons and curses and sickness and all these things above the power of the name of Jesus, then it's wrong. You need to understand that as you are, right? As Jesus is, so are you in this world. So could you imagine Jesus living in your house and being afraid of the devil, uh, reacting to the devil, binding him and getting all worked up? Jesus is the son of God. And when he walked into the room, demons trembled at the name of Jesus. They would flee at his power. And the same spirit of Jesus is in you today. My friend, we need a mind shift. We are overcomers. He says, don't let anyone cheat you. For in him, verse 9 of Colossians 2, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Jesus. And you are complete because you're in him. Who is the head of all principality and power? Who is the head today over all principality and power? Who? No, not just Jesus. You are because you are complete in him. 
we know Jesus and it's true. We honor him because everything we have is because of him. But Colossians is saying, not only is Jesus the head of all principality and power, so are you. You have great authority and power. Paul was so God inside minded. He recognized the power of God, but he recognized who he was. He recognized that the Holy Ghost lived within him. Listen to some of these scriptures, Colossians 1.29. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily or with ability. He recognized that when he went out to work, God was inside him working with great power. So when I preach today, I'm recognizing it's not just me, it's the power of the Holy Spirit behind every word I speak, working with great power and authority, breaking down strongholds in people's lives. And you too, you go to work and when you speak, it's not just you trying to do something. There's the power of the Holy Ghost that's working in me mightily with wisdom and understanding and authority. It's not just your words. It's the Holy Ghost speaking through you. He, it was inside-minded. He recognized, know ye not that you are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? We need to look in the mirror and say, Andrew, you're an amazing man. Inside you is the Holy Ghost, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. In the most hopeless circumstance, he laughed. He made a display of all the powers of darkness. And the Holy Spirit came into the body of Jesus and blew into it. And up Jesus came victorious. And he growed. He defeated the power of hell. And he went, marched into heaven with the blood that he shed for you and I. And he said, it is finished today. And now he ever lives to make intercession for you and I as the great high priest. That same spirit is in you. How can we not overcome? How can we not overcome? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that is at work inside you. Amen. When you think and ask and speak, it activates this glorious, supernatural God plant inside you. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or he's my enabling ability, E.W. Kenyon says. I can do all things because there's this power that is within me. I can stand up before a crowd when naturally I'm shy and speak with great authority. I can march into places where people of great authority sit there and not be intimidated by the words that come out of their mouth because I have this supernatural power inside me that causes me to overcome inferiority, a lack of education, lack of this and lack of that because the greater one lives with me. And he is more than able to overcome my perceived lack. Since when has God picked someone based on their ability? This is the genius of being born again, that God lives inside you. He takes the weak and the outcast and he makes them marvelous overcomers by putting himself in them. Isn't that amazing? He's just looking for a body and a mouth and an obedient heart. Jesus said you weren't looking for burnt offerings, but you, 
looking for a willing heart. He says, here I am, Lord. I've come to do your will. You say, speak, and I'll speak. I will believe that you've placed the Holy Ghost within me. Jesus did not do a miracle until the Holy Spirit came inside him because he wanted to show you what you could do when the Holy Spirit got inside you. It was nothing about Jesus' ability in the natural. It was about God inside him. Philemon 1 verse 6 says, that the distribution of your faith may become effective or energized. Faith goes to work. There's great energy. It goes to work when you acknowledge or recognize every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Faith goes to work. It says that by the sharing, that word sharing means distribution. Faith is distributed. The power of God is distributed around you. It's energized. It's, it's released when you acknowledge or recognize every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. I say to you this week, it's time to begin to recognize what is already in you. And when you do that, your faith will go to work. Mark 4 says when the seed's planted, automatically it begins to bear fruit, begins to grow. When you start to acknowledge every good thing that's in you, faith will go to work. It will take what you've said and begin to make it a reality. Conversely, fear does the same thing. When you confess everything that you don't have, and all the problems, and all the reasons why God can't do a miracle in your world, fear goes to work. When you acknowledge fear, it energizes and it goes to work and it distributes its mean, nasty spirit. But when faith goes to work, everything changes. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we pray each day, Lord, put a guard around my mouth because, Lord, often it flies off in anger and rage and, and confusion. Put a guard around my heart so it doesn't wander. And let the words of my mouth release faith into the atmosphere. It energizes faith. See, my words energize faith within me. And it begins to activate every good thing that's within me. Imagine if everyone did that here. Imagine what could happen to this city. Imagine if every single person here became a faith-filled, word-based. Psalms chapter 1 tells us that the psalmist loves the law of the Lord. And he says, I meditate on that law day and night. Think about that. Oh, I've meditated on lots of things day and night. It hasn't been the law of the Lord. I've meditated on all the reasons why I won't succeed, fear. I've meditated on man's opinions about the future. I was saying to Karen, so often, and it's so easy to get sidetracked, and it's great to know what's going on in the world, but when I start meditating on man's opinion rather than God's opinion, there's nothing for the tree to draw from. And all of a sudden my leaves wither and there's no fruit and I wonder why. It's because I haven't built within me the law of the Lord. 
And he says, if you will do that, if you will meditate on the law of the Lord day and night, think about it. I mean overdose on it. I mean not just read it, but meditate on it. Ponder it. Stew on it. Wake up in the morning with the word of the Lord within you. If you truly get it into your heart, the Bible says in Psalms 1, everything that you do will prosper. Imagine that. Imagine everything that you touched prospering. And he says, here's the key. Begin to acknowledge every good thing that's within you. Get the word in your heart. John 1.14 says that the word was made flesh. Think about that. When you eat something and chew on it and digest it and becomes part of who you are. I met a man that went on a word gluttony feast for months and it just poured out of his skin. It just oozed out of his mouth. He was just so full of the word. It was amazing to see. It says the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And that's my prayer today, that we would get the reality of who we are in Christ so ingrained in us. John 1.4 says, And in him was life. Who? The word. And that life will become the light of man. And when it becomes a part of who we are, life will flow and revelation will flow. Colossians 3.9 says, Let us put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to to the image of him who created you. And that's what God was saying to Abraham. It's time to put on the new man. Time to put on the man that I've always seen you to be, who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So God, what do you see when you see me? Do you remember in my book, for those that read it, I talk about Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. He has two names, one in the Greek and one in the Aramaic. One means son of honor, and one means son of the unclean one. And we're constantly oscillating between man's opinion and God's opinion. And that's what James says, don't be double-minded. If you're double-minded, you're unstable in all your ways. Let not that man think that he'll receive anything from God. Why? Because he's unstable. He's going between God's opinion. And this is the picture of many of us in our week. We leave church and we're, we're out in the waves. Jesus, you know, we left him on Sunday and we're looking for him in all of life and we're oscillating between his word and what we see in the natural. And God's saying it's time to put our roots down deep into the revelation of the word and say, God, despite what I see, I am going to build my house on the rock. And when the storms come, it will be immovable. It's time for Pentecostals, again, not just to embrace the work of the Spirit, but embrace the Word of the living God, where it becomes a part of our DNA. And too many believers, and this is not to beat anyone up, but too many believers have left their Bible on the shelf and they haven't got the word of the Spirit. And David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so I won't sin against you, so I won't miss the mark. And so because we don't have the word, when, when things come, opportunities and also problems, we've got nothing to fight with. We've got no sword of the Spirit because we don't know it in our hearts. 
And so David's saying, and Paul was saying, get it deep in your heart. Not just memorize it, but meditate upon it until it gets deep in part inside you, until it oozes out of your skin. As a young kid, I memorized footy cards and numbers and, and players and scores. And you know what it's like when you're a sports nut like some of us? It just, you, know, you become a living, breathing AFL fan. But what about the Word of God getting it so ingrained in our hearts? Do you know what kept me going? There were a number of things that kept me going as a child. One was the prayer of, of, a, of a mother and a grandpa and a grandma that prayed for me every day. So powerful are the prayers of the saints. But another thing, as a young kid, I learned to get the Word of God in my heart. I had a cassette player, scripture in song that I would play every night as I went to sleep. I would put scriptures on cards and memorize them. When I first met Karen, one of the things that attracted to me, her to me, apart from her stunning good looks, was that when I went into her room and I looked on the wall, there was scripture plastered all across the wall. She was a woman that loved the word of God. And my friend, we've got to get that back inside us. Stop calling yourself Abram. When I've always called you Abraham, this is what I see when I see you. Get the word in our hearts. Christianity is called the great confession. It's a continual confession of his greatness and his ability and his love for me, for his provision, for the greatness of his name inside me, of my ability in him. It's a great confession. And we will win the war, when we have hope-filled hearts and a faith that grabs the Word of God and says, this is who I am right now, and I will have it right now. And this is the way I shall live. Some of you are facing insurmountable problems. Bring your problems, and I'll bring the Word. And let's see who wins. And the same for you, that's what you should be saying. All my problems, yes, we don't deny their reality. And this is what I say to people about their identity. You don't deny that there are issues in your life. It's like saying, I don't have a splinter under my arm. You can go, no, no, no splinter, no splinter. Everyone can see the pus and the pain. And we can all see that you've got a splinter. And it's the same with your past. You can't deny that you've had 14 divorces and you've picked up all these things. You can't deny that. But what you do deny is the, the real, what we deny is the, the fact that it belongs there and it will remain there. That's what we deny. So you may be there, but you don't belong. You're not part of who I am. I see that you're there, but that's not who I am. Are you seeing seeing that? We don't we don't take on that identity. I don't take ownership. I see its reality, but it's not me. I don't take ownership of it. And it's the same when it comes to the things of God. God, all these things may have happened in my life, but I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed, and all things have become new. I may have grown up in poverty, I can't deny its effects in my life. But the truth is that, God, you take pleasure in the prosperity of your servant. No good thing will you withhold to them that walk uprightly, and I am an upright one. The blessings of Abraham are mine because I am in Christ Jesus. That's the truth of who I am. And when you begin to speak those words, 
your life will begin to change. Faith will be energized and it will do a holy work. And I believe that the angels, that they are there, they hearken to his word. They're waiting for us to speak the language of heaven that they can operate in. For they cannot operate in fear, but only in faith. And if you want angels to be working alongside you, you've got to create an environment in your home of worship and praise and faith where they can do their work. Amen? Of your business, of your marriage. And I speak this word to me as well. We must speak the words of life. So, Father, I pray for every blessed saint today that you would activate in their lives this revelation of the power of the faith-filled spoken word. I thank you, Father. We acknowledge today every good thing that's in us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, as we do that, let it change our business, our workplace, our family, our city. We thank you, Lord, for the power of the name of Jesus that we have, the power of your word in our hearts. So we surrender our mouths to you. We surrender our hearts to you. Let Psalm 1 be our reality, Lord, that in your law we meditate day and night. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know that as we meditate on your word, faith is released. And nothing is impossible to those that believe. So Lord, as we meditate on your word day and night, bring great success. Prosper your servants. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out demons through us.